Welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard. I spoke with Richard today about just the substance abuse that is discussed in his book, the things that are all focused towards how parents can address this with teenagers. To me, I find this a very serious topic and something that parents should be aware of. So I'm not going to get too much into things. That way we can get right to the show. I'd like to just, as always, thank you for being here. Please rate, review, leave comments, email me with any concerns or questions you have. Richard does have a profile on authorblurb.com. You can go through there. You can also find his links there as well as his links in the show notes. So with that being said, enjoy the show. So I'm here with Richard Capiola, and we're here to discuss his book. The book is the adolescence. Basically, it's the addicted adolescent, if I'm remembering correctly. And well, how about with this? We let Richard explain a bit about himself, a bit about his book. I know it's a topic that I find quite interesting that I feel a lot of parents will as well. So Richard, thank you for being here. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your book, please? Yes, thank you so much for inviting me to the program. I appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk with me today. <clears throat> I wrote my book um, for parents uh, and for anyone who's interested in learning about adolescent substance abuse. Um, <clears throat> I had worked in education for many years, uh, over three decades, and then as I transitioned out of that career, moved over into uh, substance abuse counseling, uh, worked at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas uh, for over a decade. Uh, Menninger Clinic is a large psychiatric hospital. And I worked as an addictions counselor for both adolescents and adults. And so many times I would sit across from a family and I would go through their child's use of a substance, what they'd been using, when they began using, how often, give them a diagnosis of a substance use disorder. And the parents would say to me, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they might say, well, I sort of knew something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. And these are good parents. Uh, these right. are good parents doing the best they can. They missed the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. So after I retired from Menninger Clinic, I wrote my book, which is entitled The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. I kept it to about 100 pages because I know parents are busy, but I, wanted, but I wanted to put a lot of information in that would help parents feel more comfortable with this issue, less paranoid, less afraid about it, and, and feel as if they're better equipped to deal with this issue if they have to. So that was the reason why I wrote my book. All right. So <clears throat> now you have, if I'm not mistaken, 20 years or more of experience in this field dealing with counseling and addictions and things like that. Is that correct? Yes. I uh, uh, Before I joined Menninger Clinic, uh, I had a long history in education, but then I transitioned over into working for a mental health crisis center um, in central Illinois, uh, worked there for a number of years, transitioned over to Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas. So altogether, uh, I've been a licensed uh, addictions counselor for two decades. All right. What got you into going into that field? It sounds like it's a challenging field, at least when I think about it, it would be. 
It is a challenging and a rewarding field. Definitely very challenging, but also can be very rewarding to uh, to help people and to see the success stories that can come out from people who go through treatment. Um, I got interested in addictions when I was working at a mental health crisis center in central Illinois. We would we would receive patients from the emergency rooms uh, that would be referred to uh, our crisis center, where we would uh, provide assistance to them for a short period of time. And I noticed that a number of them that were coming to the crisis center had not only a mental health issue, but also were struggling with a substance abuse issue. So I went back to the University of Illinois and received a master's degree in basically addictions counseling and, and began to work with patients in the crisis center who had both a mental health challenge and a substance abuse challenge. Uh, until I transitioned over to Menninger Clinic, where I, I began working full time with patients, both adults and adolescents, who were struggling with mental health and substance abuse. So a lot of my work is with teenagers and adults who have not only uh, a substance abuse issue, but an underlying uh, psychiatric or, or mental health issue that they're struggling with. All right. So do you find that most times when there's a a substance abuse issue substance abuse issue there's also the mental illness there or is it sometimes a separation of the two where they just have the addiction without the mental illness? It's both. Um, many people are just struggling with the substance abuse issue, both adults and, and adolescents, uh, and they don't have an underlying mental health issue. But in other cases, uh, a person, whether they're an adult or, or a teenager, is often turning to a substance it goes both ways. Uh, many people um, have just a substance abuse issue and are not struggling with a mental health issue. Other people, uh, adults and adolescents, uh, are using a substance and struggling with an underlying uh, mental health issue. Uh, when I was at Menninger Clinic, many of the teenagers that I worked with who were smoking a lot of marijuana, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back was it helps me with my anxiety. Uh, so, so for some kids, not all kids, but for some kids, there may be an underlying issue that they're using a drug like marijuana or alcohol to medicate. Maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's a depression, maybe it's trauma, uh, maybe it's being bullied, uh, maybe it's an emerging personality disorder. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, sadly, those underlying psychological issues go unrecognized and undiagnosed and oftentimes go untreated. We focus on the drug use, but uh, we oftentimes miss the underlying issue that a child, a teenager may be using the drug to medicate. All right. And your book is focused on helping parents detect and figure out what the issues are. So that is correct, right? So it's focused on how to help parents be able to figure out, hey, my kids, it's not just they're occasionally doing it, but they have a serious problem, or is it to see the beginnings of it? It's 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 to help parents become 
more knowledgeable about teenage substance abuse, to know what the warning signs are. And I put the warning signs in my book because many parents don't know what to look for. Uh, there's information in my book about if you suspect your child is using a substance, what tests, what assessments should you get done to get a diagnosis? There, are, There's information about what does a good treatment plan look like? If you need a treatment plan, what should you look for? What questions should you ask? What is a good evidence-based treatment program? I have information on uh, and warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder and a child that may be self-harming themselves because sometimes, not always, but sometimes a child might be using a substance like alcohol or marijuana and they're also developing an eating disorder or self-harming themselves. So it's important that parents know what the warning signs are for eating disorders and self-injury. Um, and then there's a lot of resources in my book. And there's an entire chapter to help parents understand how their child's brain works, how the adolescent brain works, and, and how drugs work in the adolescent brain. It's basically a very straightforward neuroscience approach so that parents understand the importance of protecting their child's vulnerable developing brain all right so let me ask this then and like we discussed a little bit before the show i have a curiosity in the sense of when i was a teenager i grew up on the country in the middle of the middle of the farmlands of ohio we smoked weed we drank we had fun there's some kids that just let it get way out of control and most of the kids i grew up with they grew out of it, and as far as I know, they don't touch it, or if they do, it's maybe once every blue moon. Yeah. What, I mean, is it really something that if the kid is using weed, if they're smoking marijuana, or if they're going out on the weekends every once a month or something, and they drink and they get drunk, is that a serious concern, or is it, the more extreme cases that needs to be paid attention to. I think what parents need to understand is the fact that the teenage brain is in the process of developing and maturing. Our mm -hmm. brains don't become fully developed and fully mature until around age 24 or 25. So parents need to understand that their child's brain is in the process of maturing and developing, forming those connections, maturing and developing uh, the, 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 the information and the processes that that child will need later on in, in, when they become adults. And, and any time you introduce a, a substance into a developing brain, you run the risk of, of doing some harm to that brain. You may not notice the differences. You may not notice the subtle changes that are going on in your child's brain. But these substances have the ability to go into an adolescent brain and make changes in that brain that might affect that child down the road, years down the road. The, 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 the kids that I was, were working with that, that smoked marijuana, and they were smoking a boatload of marijuana. They were smoking multiple times a day. Right. These, these kids' IQs were above average to superior. It's very smart kids. 
But when the psychological test came back on those kids, what I noticed was the processing speed of their brain was below average. Their short-term memory was impaired and their motivation was below average. So these changes that might be occurring in the brain might not be readily uh, observable to a parent, uh, but, but the, there is always the risk and the danger that when you start to introduce these substances into a maturing, developing brain, you run the risk of, of doing some damage. Now, does that mean that every child who smokes marijuana is going to go on and use more hardcore drugs? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that they're going to continue to smoke marijuana for the rest of their life? No, it doesn't mean that. Uh, it, again, it's a risk. How much <laughs> risk are you willing to take with your child's brain and with your child's life? That's really what it comes down to. I understand. And, and I guess Here's one concern or one thought that I have is, and I'm using my own personal experience as a, as the examples that I'm going to use, but like my mom did everything she could to try to make sure I didn't do drugs. Yes. But I was a wild, crazy teenager. I wasn't really all mentally there, I guess is the best way to say, because I had a lot of, I guess, anger towards the world unnecessarily and all these different things, the things that teenagers have. Mm -hmm. Is there some way that could help avoid the kids, the teenagers from getting on drugs or keep them away from drugs that you know of? Or is it because, yeah, I can tell you, I remember well enough when I was a teenager, when I would smoke weed, the things that it would affect and the way I acted was much differently. Mm -hmm. And after high school and I got too busy to do it, I realized my life was much better without it. Yeah. That's my personal opinion and everybody is their own person. But like when my kids get that age, I'd like to keep them away from it. And I'll explain to them my personal history to try to be upfront and say, Hey, this is why I know it's bad. Do you have other, like my mom never did drugs. So she didn't have that tool to use. Right. What tools for somebody like my mom who has no information about drugs, doesn't really have the background in her history to help detect it or help try to avoid her kid from being on it, what would you tell that parent? I would tell that parent to read my book, first of all, to learn <laughs> what the warning signs are, because your mom, like many other parents, didn't know what the warning signs are, didn't know what to look for because nobody told her what to look for. And a lot of parents don't know what to look for. The other danger is that so many parents think this can't happen to my kid. You know, drugs are not something my kid would ever use. These these happen to other kids. And And I can tell you that there is no child, no child that is immune to being captured by alcohol or drugs. Every child is vulnerable to being captured by some type of drug or some or, or alcohol. It doesn't matter where you live, urban, rural, suburban area. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what your level of income is. It doesn't matter what school you send your child to. Every child is vulnerable to being caught up by either alcohol or drugs. And parents need to be aware of that. In terms of what you can do, it doesn't do you any good. Uh, when I was working with teenagers, it didn't do me any good to tell them the drugs were illegal. 
it didn't tell me, do didn't do me any good to tell him if you keep smoking marijuana, your grades are going to go down. Or you might not graduate, or you might not get into college. You might not get a job. They didn't believe any of that, and they didn't care about it. Right. But but what did make a difference when I talked to them about the neuroscience? They were curious about their brain. They wanted to know what their brain was like. They wanted to know how it worked. They wanted to know what was involved in it. So when I talked to them about the neuroscience and I educated them about their brain, what the different areas of the brain are, what different areas of the brain do, have an area of the brain that helps us walk, an area that helps us talk, an area that helps us speak and reason. And then I showed them how a drug like marijuana worked in the brain, where it attached itself to the brain. That caught their attention and that made a difference. So so as a parent, the lectures on being illegal and not being good, that, that's not gonna that's not gonna get you very far. But if no. you can have a discussion with your child about the brain and the vulnerability of the brain, that just might open up a communication, a pathway, a route where they might actually start to get interested in this. The other thing I would say is if you suspect your child is using a substance, I'm often asked. What's the first thing I should do? Well, the first thing you should do is have a conversation with your child. Don't punish them. Don't threaten them. Don't argue with them. Don't don't yell at them. Come at the discussion with an inquiring point of view. In other words, I'm suspecting that you might be using a substance. Can you help me understand that? Or I'm I'm noticing these behaviors. Can you help me understand that? So what you're doing is you're inviting the child into a discussion to to help either to 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 help either confirm or deny the observations and the feelings that you have. So really the discussion is from an inquiring point of view. I'm noticing these things or I'm concerned about this. Can you help me understand it a little bit better? And do you find that if a teenager is using something, if the parent starts off that discussion, a lot of times the teenager is going to come out and say, yes, you're right, I've been doing this, or what do you find as a standard would be? Because you can have the assumption that and see the signs like the increased aggression, the I know the lack of attention, the change of attitude, those are a couple general signs of use that I know of. Yeah. And with if you are noticing those and you say, I've read your book, when my son, he grows up, he's a teenager, I start having the question, I ask this to him, how often do you think the teenager is going to come out and say, yes, I'm smoking weed quite a bit or I'm drinking and I'm going to try to tell my kids, talk to me if you're drinking, don't drive, those things like that, just be smart. But how do I address it even if they're saying they're not doing it and I'm seeing all the signs I know to be true? Well, you're more likely to open up the discussion and, and get an honest response if if you approach the discussion from an inquiring point of view to express what you've observed, express your concern, and invite that child to give you feedback on it, as opposed to saying, I know you're smoking marijuana, and if you continue to use it, I'm going to ground you. That's not going to go over very well. Right. But, but if you just express your concern, what you're feeling, what you're seeing, and in Invite the child to help you understand why you're feeling the way you do or help you understand why you're seeing what you're seeing. They may open up and give you some information. Now, quite honestly, 
that's a discussion that's going to go one of two ways. Either the child's going to blow up and get angry and defensive and argumentative. Mm -hmm. uh, that'll tell you something. Or the child might actually share some information with you that you didn't know before. But either way, no matter how it goes, if you're still concerned as a parent that your child might be using a substance, then I think you need to proceed to the next step, which is to get some of the assessments done that I recommend in my book so that you can get a professional assessment and in either rule in or rule out whether or not your child has a substance use disorder. And if they do, what do the professionals recommend that you do? You need to get some professional advice, in other words. All right. And so now without giving away all the things, but what are a couple of the signs that people should look at? Like I said, I noticed, I know I mentioned a few of them yeah. with the increased anger, the lack of interest, the change of personality, things like that. Are there just other general things in your book that discusses other signs that parents should watch out for? Yeah, there are. I have uh, I have signs for a child that might be smoking marijuana. I have warning signs for a child that might be using alcohol. I have warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder. There's warning signs for a child that might be uh, self-harming themselves. Those are all in the book. Uh, as a general rule, what I recommend to parents is pay attention to the changes you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone. Pay attention to the changes that you see. Don't assume that the changes are just normal adolescent acting out behavior. They may very well be that, but they, right. might, also be, they might also be an, a, a, an indication that there's something else going on underneath the surface that you as a parent need to be aware of. So some examples would be a child whose grades are starting to decline, a child who's getting into discipline problems at home or at school. Uh, a child who used to participate and enjoy sports no longer is interested or participates in sports. A child who used to introduce you to uh, their friends. You knew who their friends were. You might have even known who their some of their family members were. Now becomes very secretive of who their friends are and becomes very secretive about where they've been. Um, and, and then obviously if you, if you uh, find any drug paraphernalia around the house, or in the child's room, or you smell any weird odors in the room, then I think those are obvious signs too. So pay attention right. to the changes that you see in your child. Now, if some of these warning signs uh, tend to come and go fairly quickly, it's probably not too concerning. Um, but if they linger on for days and weeks, and then you start to see more and more of these warning signs, then I think it's a, a, something you should be concerned about and probably get some professional assessments in advice on. So do you see a age group that tends to be more where it begins in? Like I know when I was growing up, it was more the like 16, 17, 18 year olds because you were driving, you were out and about, you were able to be wild and crazy. So it's like when you're 15, almost 16 and all the way to 18, I guess is what I grew up with of the kids that would do it. Has that changed any or as it is it still that way? I think it's still that way. I think that's a high risk age age range, uh, you know, between say 15 to 18. I think that's a very high risk. A lot of things going on in, in the age range. Children are moving from middle school to high school, uh, a lot more stress, a lot of things going on. Uh, but 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 I've also seen uh, ch children much younger than that 
get involved in some of these substances. And, and particularly inhalant use tends to be something that uh, children use uh, even before they become teenagers. Inhalant use meaning they're using household items that have an odor to them that get the kid high. Uh, yeah. many, many, and many homes have these, these products around, you know, paint thinners, glue, paint, different things that give a toxic type of odor can get a child very high very quickly. The, the, the danger in that is that hallucin these, these type of inhalants uh, cause a very rapid high that doesn't last very long. So the child tends to use it over and over and over very repeatedly. Mm -hmm. We tend to see the inhalant use at a very young age when it happens, like 10, 12, 13 years old. But in terms of the of the drugs, um, I think that age range is is uh, is still between somewhere between 14 to say 17, 18. That's when we see the majority of it. All right. So let me ask this then as well is like, I know when I was a young kid, I would smoke cigarettes and it, like, I'll be honest, I was far from a saint when I was a teenager. So <laughs> don't be too surprised on the things I say, but I have improved my lifestyle very much over the years. But when I was younger, I did smoke cigarettes. I smoked cigarettes, I smoked cigars, and they were, I used to really enjoy them, but I also knew that they were bad for my health. Are these things that are beginning signs of drug use or other issues, or is these implemented as part of the whole issues that parents need to watch out for? Well, the issue of, of nicotine use... Um, Interestingly, smoking among teenagers is at an all-time low. It is lower than it has ever been before. Good. Um, kids are moving away from smoking tobacco, cigarettes, cigars, but they've replaced it with vaping nicotine. Uh, three years For three years prior to the pandemic, uh, vaping among teenagers was surging. It was growing dramatically. Kids were vaping nicotine and they were vaping marijuana. And, and, and for three years prior to the pandemic, there was a dramatic increase in the number of teenagers that were vaping these substances. Um, and the, the pandemic, however, drove substance use Use down across the board. During the year of the pandemic, teenage substance abuse dropped dramatically. We'll find out after the first of next year if now the kids are back into the regular school system, if uh, the, the decline that we saw during the pandemic year, uh, if it rebounded and kids are back to using substances again and we see an increase in their use. But definitely tobacco use is at an all-time uh, low, but kids have switched to uh, vaping nicotine rather than smoking. All right. And... So do you think the decline in all this drug use and such during the COVID time was um, due to the parents actually being around the child more, being more involved? Because I believe a lot of parents just didn't have the choice but to be there. Their kids, yeah. they were working from home. The kids were being homeschooled. It was just all one big thing. Do you think that had a big part to play in it or did you think there was a different factor? 
No, I think I think you're exactly right. I think the difference was that their environment changed. They were no longer in school. They were doing homeschooling. They were no longer uh, participating in many extracurricular activities. It was much more difficult for them to hang out with their peer group and and to be away from home. So I think these acted as restrictions on their ability to 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 use marijuana, and that's why we saw the decline. And it will be interesting after the first of the year when we have uh, data on the current school year that just closed uh, as to whether or not uh, the decline that we saw uh, last year um, actually rebounded and during the current school year kids returned to increase turn to using alcohol and drugs and we see we see an increase in their use as a result of getting back into the the, the school system and the social environment again all right and Jess, I don't know if this is actually a realistic thing, but I'm actually concerned. Do you think that the school plays a part or how the child, where the child's going to school or the school in general has a part to play if the child is getting involved in drugs or staying away from them? I think the school system um, has failed mm -hmm. to help our children uh, understand the dangers associated with substance use. Um, you know, the approach has been just say no. Well, the just say no bid, I think that's been kind of um, way back and it's been more looked at as a, um, a way of people saying, now they're saying, okay, well, that's an old way. No one really goes that way. Is the schools doing anything more than just the just say no? I think I think they do try to educate kids. I, I think they try to help them become more informed. But quite quite honestly, they're not doing enough of it. Um, and by that I mean I would start in the elementary grades, and I would start to teach the kids about the brain. And during elementary school, I would teach the teach the elementary kids the importance of their brain, what the brain does, and how it's important to protect the brain. I wouldn't introduce drugs to them. Right. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't talk about how drugs work. But I would, in elementary school, I would hope to give them a solid foundation on how the brain works and what the brain does. Then as they move into middle school and high school, once they have an understanding and appreciation for their brain, then I would begin to introduce how these drugs work in the brain so that they get an understanding of, uh, of, of what these drugs can do to their brain. And, and, and that's something that, you know, the, the school system can do every year, starting in elementary school through middle school and high school to help children become more aware of what these drugs can do to their brain. Kids are more likely to be interested in that. Right. And I mean, I, my kid's quite young right now, so he's interested in every little aspect. He even watches shows that I show him that's on science with the brain, with how the body works and things like mm -hmm. that. And yeah. he's fascinated by it. Yes, so, kids are curious. You're right. Absolutely right. So tie into that curiosity and use it to your advantage as a parent. And that I plan to do. So as he understands how the body works, how the body is, all this stuff that what you put in your body, the things that are there will affect it. I plan on using that as the tool as he gets older. Obviously, he's right now four years old, so I'm not going to be introducing that quite yet. <laughs> but 
as he does get older, I do plan on implementing different things to help. Like I said, because of my past, I plan on using a lot of things. And the likelihood is, is I'm even though I have plenty of years to wait, I'm going to probably purchase your book just to get an understanding of different things. And as a refresher, when they get older, I have it on hand. I think that's a great idea. I, you know, and or you may find a parent that uh, uh, that you might want to loan the book out to. Uh, maybe it's a parent struggling with a child who's using a substance and and you can loan it out as a resource to them. And I have no problem ever doing that. I loan books out as much as I can because, well, I have way too many of them as it is. <laughs> but now with that, what else, what other tools will people find in your book that'll help them with being able to deal with the adolescent substance abuse? I think the, the benefits are to learn about a little bit in a, in a very simple way, the neuroscience, how the brain works and how drugs work in the brain. Uh, a big part of the book is obviously to know what the warning signs are, because like anything else, if you can spot something early on, you can intervene and, and have a success and, and increase the likelihood of a successful outcome. Um, also, they can learn what assessments and tests need to be done if they're concerned as a parent. They can learn what treatment programs are available and they can learn learn what treatment options are. There's information that will help them understand what an outpatient program is, what an intensive outpatient program is, and what a residential program is. Um, and, and, and also, there is very short chapters on, on the street drugs that are out there. You know, Parents are aware of alcohol and marijuana. They know about right. those, but they may not know about some of these other street drugs that are out there that, that teenagers have access to, things like hallucinogens, uh, depressants, uh, and, 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 and other drugs that are out mm -hmm. there. Um, so there's very brief chapters that, that give parents basic information on the street drugs that are out there, just so that they can be aware that these drugs are out there and know a little bit about them. All right. So I guess the, sorry, I have a niche. So I guess the question really comes down to is when, I guess, when do you expect parents to really start seeing signs or have concerns that should they, because everyone's not going to buy your books, be, even as much as we like everyone to read every book, what age group do you think a parent should look at getting these books or getting the research to be able to be prepared? I, I would say as early as possible, you know, certainly before your child gets to middle school and high school, you should have a good understanding of, of you know, adolescent substance abuse. Uh, even in elementary school, it's not too late to begin, you know, to talk to your child about how the brain works, like we discussed and what the brain does, and then introduce drugs as they move into med, uh, middle school and high school and how these drugs work in the brain. But I would recommend that anyone who has, anyone who has a, a, a child, uh, even if they're pre-teenagers, uh, learn as much as you can about substance abuse. Uh, get a copy of the book. Learn the warning signs because um, you, you, I hope that you don't become one of these parents who looked across at me and said, I had no idea this was going on. Or I suspected my child was using a substance, but I didn't know it was this bad. And many of the teenagers that I worked with, they I worked at a psychiatric hospital, one of the largest psychiatric hospitals in the country, Menninger Clinic 
in Houston, Texas. And, and, and the situation with their children had gotten so severe, had gotten so dangerous, had, was completely out of control that the, op, the only option they had was to admit their child to a psychiatric hospital. You want to do everything you can to avoid that happening to you. And probably one of the best things that you can do is learn the warning signs and be prepared that if you have to deal with this issue, that you're confident as a parent that you can deal with this. You're less afraid, less paranoid, and more confident. Knowledge is power. The more knowledge you have, the better prepared you'll to, to, to feel as if you can deal with this if you have to. Understand. Now, is there like a workbook or something out there that parents can use or get to be able to help them with all this? Do you know of one? That's a great question um, because we often put the emphasis on the child because the child is the one using the substance and that's rightly so. But in doing so, we forget the parent. We forget that the parent is going through a crisis. We forget that the parent needs help too. Many times these parents begin to feel like, where did I go wrong? How did I fail my child? What kind of a parent am I? My child's using substances. How are, how are other parents looking at me now? And they have all of these negative feelings, all very normal feelings, but they're struggling themselves. And, and parents need help. And my advice to a parent is if you're struggling through this, you're going through it, get yourself a support system, build a support system around yourself. I wrote a parent handbook, uh, a parent workbook that accompanies my main book. And I wrote that because I wanted parents to have a very brief workbook that they could use that would allow them to go through some exercises that would help them. So there is a parent workbook that's available. All right. So now I know that your book is on Amazon for sale there. Yes. I didn't look to see if it's for sale at other places as well. I saw the reviews were just phenomenally positive on Amazon for your book. Is the workbook also on Amazon or where do people find the workbook? Yes, the workbook is also available on Amazon. Um, also, people can go to the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com helptheaddictedchild.com. When you go to the website, you'll be able to review, uh, you'll be able to read endorsements, book reviews, a sample chapter of the book. There's information about myself. Um, and there's a link that will take the person directly to Amazon where they can buy either the book or the workbook. Uh, the book is available as a Kindle, if you like to read on a Kindle, and it's also available as a paperback. The workbook is, is a workbook, so it's available as a paperback. But the link will take you right to Amazon where you can, if you want, you can order a copy of the book or the workbook. There's also a link that if you wanna contact me or ask me a question or send me a comment, you can use that link to contact me and it will come directly to me. All right. Well, that sounds fantastic. And just a ton of information there that I've found very helpful. And I think people listening and parents in general are going to find helpful as well. To me, it sounds like it's going to be a smart idea for parents to get the book, get your book, possibly get the workbook along with it so that they can do everything. What is the website or where do you feel the best place for people to find you would be? I would say go to the book's website, www.helptheaddictedchild.com. All right. And I have that in my show notes and on your profile I have for you at authorblurb.com. So 
people can find you there. People can reach out to you. Richard, I appreciate you being on with me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And if you can hold on for just a minute, this is going to be the end of the conversation for everybody else listening and or watching. But I'm going to talk to you a little bit after the show. Thank you so much for inviting me to the program. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So that was my conversation with Richard. I hope you found it as informative as I did and as helpful. I am probably going to be buying his book myself personally. I hope you find good reason to do it as well. Just even to have on your shelf to lend out to somebody because to me, drugs, drug abuse is a very concerning topic, especially in today's world. I'm very appreciative of Richard being on and we're probably going to try to do an updated episode later on if he has the time and availability to do so. So thank you for being here. Please go to authorblurb.com where you can find his profile, the profiles of other guests, other shows, and even articles that people have written on different topics of their expertise on the website. I'll, as always, rate us, review us. Let me know how you think we're doing, or I shouldn't say we, it's just me doing what I can for you. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy all I do. I hope you find that author that just is right for you and that you can be entertained with or find useful. So thank you and have a good day.